Welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm Duke Lamastra. Thanks so much for joining me. So yesterday on the uh, Joe Rogan Experience, Joe Rogan's podcast, Joe sat down with Elon Musk for a conversation. Elon's been on the podcast with Joe several times in the past, and it's always interesting. But they had an interesting kind of a brief section of their overall discussion yesterday that was really, really uh, interesting to me that stuck out, that kind of sparked some things in me, really, really got me thinking from a theological perspective. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk through some of the points that were discussed. It's related to AI and it's related to uh, extinctionist ideology and uh, and and I think um, how it relates to to us, to Christians and really to all people on the planet. And so I wanted to get into that a little bit in this episode. So I appreciate you guys so much for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, review, share, something like that really, really helps me out a lot. and means the world to me. First of all, on the episode yesterday with uh, <laughs> with Elon, it was just a fun episode within, I think, the first 10 minutes. So Elon had a, he, he drove his new Cybertruck to the studio and they started talking about the Cybertruck. And I and I think for any of you out there that ordered a Cybertruck, I think the first wave of, of Tesla Cybertrucks are going to be delivered. I think he said next month. I don't know if that meant because it was October 31st. So I don't know if that meant, uh, you know, that next month being November. I took it to mean December. So maybe by the end of the year, you're going to start seeing some Cybertrucks on the road, which is super cool because uh, I've heard that up close, they are amazing. So I'm excited for that. It's probably going to be a few years before I <laughs> get mine. But anyway, so Cybertrucks are coming out. Uh, but within the first 10 minutes, Elon and, and, and Joe, they were out like in the garage or, or, or somewhere. And and Joe had a, <laughs> he has a 90 pound compound bow and just this incredible, you know, strong and durable and heavy grade of arrows with broad points. And he, from like, I don't know, maybe 20 feet away, they filmed Joe firing an arrow at the Cybertruck because they started talking about how, you know, you, you're probably aware the, the, the Tesla Cybertruck, they are bulletproof. I mean, the glass isn't, but, you know, there's videos and demonstrations that Elon was talking about of like unloading a, a Tommy gun, you know, full magazine of a Tommy gun into the side of a Cybertruck and it and it doesn't penetrate and all of that kind of stuff. And so Joe was like, well, I wonder about an arrow, you know, it's a smaller surface area. And I wonder if it could penetrate. Elon's like, not a chance. It's definitely not going to penetrate. And so they went out and they tested it out. And, uh, you know, just an incredible force of, of an arrow, you know, something traveling probably 300 feet per second. And just like an incredible force. And the thing just like bounced off ricocheted and like kind of the tip blew off. And the tip was flattened and barely left any kind of dent in Cybertruck. So anyway, that was kind of fun. They 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 talked about some fun things. I mean, it's always fun. They talked about a conspiracy theory uh, <laughs> that I had never personally heard before. I don't know if there's any merit to it or not, but they talked about a conspiracy theory that like Jackson Pollock paintings were uh, a CIA psyop that uh, the 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 funds because they were selling for such an absurd amount of money that it was actually used to to help to end the Cold War. Like crazy, crazy stuff like that comes out in these uh, conversations. So anyway, it's fun. At one point, they ordered a pineapple and anchovy, a double pineapple and double anchovy pizza. And for like 10 minutes, you just heard them chewing. You know, it's like this podcast goes out to millions of people. It's like the biggest podcast in the world. And uh, <laughs> they're just they're just eating pizza on the podcast. Anyway, I thought I thought it was funny. But what was funny to me that while I was listening to them eat pizza, uh, I was I was out for a run, you know, with earbuds, just lis listening to the podcast. And I'm out running, trying to be good, trying to be healthy. I'm just listening to them eat pizza. Joe, Joe Rogan is like, like a really um, healthy guy. You know, he eats well. Um, he's he pretty much does like um, mostly carnivore diet. Uh, and he doesn't really eat, you know, pizza very often and that sort of thing. But Elon asked for it and they were like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. And anyway, so I'm out there for a run, just listening to these guys like chewing and eating pizza. And then he even said something at some point. He goes, he goes, man, people are going to be so mad at us. There's people like right now on a treadmill, you know, trying to be good, listening to us just chew and stuff our faces and they're going to be mad at us. And and it was funny because uh, to me anyway, it was funny. I was because I've actually been doing pretty good myself, um, eating pretty good since uh, probably about the last week of July. I've been doing pretty good as far as I've been doing a mostly uh, carnivore diet. I think I've lost about 20 pounds. I've been exercising every day and just, you know, trying to 
China sheds some uh, some extra weight that I really did not need to have on me. Still got a little bit more to go, but uh, but I'm doing well. And anyway, just listening to them eat the pizza. As soon as I got done with my run, I jumped in the car and uh, and went to Burger King. So anyway, that was the result of of me listening to to Joe Rogan yesterday. But anyway. This conversation came up, of course, if you're talking, if Elon Musk and Joe Rogan are talking, they're going to talk about AI at some point in the conversation. Eli, Eli, Elon starts talking about how AI can go horribly wrong if the people that are programming it begin to program it according to their ideological values that ultimately lead to destruction. And when you consider Silicon Valley, um, it is probably in the United States um, one of the most one of the most uh, liberal and and probably one of the most um, anti-Christian <laughs> places in our whole country, and so this Silicon Valley kind of the the the, the cradle of you know where a lot of uh, technology and innovation comes from. And that's where the headquarters for so many of these big companies are located. Uh, like Apple and Google and, uh, you know, Facebook and all this stuff, all the headquarters for most of these major tech companies and conglomerates are there in that um, San Francisco area. And Elon was talking about how the ideology of the people that live in that area has really led to the degradation of society in that area of San Francisco. And I don't know if you're familiar, if you've been to San Francisco or heard about it. I mean, the it's the, the city has really been, from the time of COVID up until now, the city has really degraded substantially. The homelessness crisis that's going on there is just, I mean, it's at a point where it's like very difficult. It would be very difficult at this point to, to correct. They're throwing tons of money at it but it doesn't seem like they're throwing money at it in a way that is designed to help the problem go away, but really to try to provide dignity to the people that are, you know, living in that, in, in those conditions that are, that are homeless and, or excuse me, I don't think I'm supposed to say homeless anymore. I think I'm supposed to say uh, unhoused. So the people that are, that are unhoused. Right. And so it's there's it's very problematic. And so one of the things that Elon was talking about, kind of the spark to this conversation, he said something to the effect of and I and I and I really don't, um, you know, you might want to go and listen to it. You know, you might not want to listen to that sort of thing. And I completely understand that. But uh, if you want to just kind of, you know, you know, check me out and what I'm saying maybe start listening around the 27th 28th minute or something like that and then you know maybe li listen up up through I, i'm not sure how long maybe 10 15 minutes or something like that and that's kind of the the crux they came back around to it a couple different times so i you know some of what i'm going to mention here it may be more toward the from toward the end of the episode or whatever but just so you can kind of have an idea because i the last thing i ever want to do is misrepresent somebody hey look maybe somebody can help me out because this is this is the kind of thing like I'm such a <laughs> I'm such an amateur at at podcasting. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, but I don't know the rules. And I know that there's a lot of other uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there that do reaction videos and they're always showing clips of other podcast episodes or they're playing clips from, um, you know, news stations or whatever. And I, and I know that there's a certain amount of of uh, leeway that you get when you're doing some kind of something that's considered commentary or something like that. But one thing that has always seemed a little bit not sketchy, that's not the right word, but I just haven't been totally sure of there's a lot of uh, podcasters out there that the majority of what they do is they play a clip from somebody else's show and then they make comments on it or they react to it. They bring a point about and I enjoy watching that. So I have no problem with it. I'm just not sure if that's the kind of thing that you need per permission to do. I'm sure they're not getting permission from the people whose clip they're taking. So I think that they're that it's probably okay if it's active under fair use. I've tried to research this stuff because I'm kind of a, a stickler for the rules, probably to my own detriment sometimes. <laughs> and I've received conflicting reports of what's actually allowed and what's not allowed and that sort of thing. So maybe somebody out there that's listening to this can help me out. If so, reach out to me on social media or by email or somehow get in contact with me and let me know uh, what you think. Maybe you can help me out and maybe I can uh, 
up my my game here as far as content goes and and start showing some some clips and things like that for some of these things that I'm that I'm that I'm discussing. So, but anyway, I was listening to uh, Joan Elon. And Elon starts talking about how he believes, and, and the thing that he's kind of the most frightened about when it comes to to artificial intelligence and this direction that we're going, that is. You know we're on a collision course with artificial intelligence at this point there's there's no pulling back there's no it's the kind of thing like there's no putting that genie back in the bottle once it's come out and i start i've been thinking about this a lot and you know if you've listened to the podcast for any period of time i've had guests on in the past and we've had many many conversations about ai and about the technological age and advancements that we're living in and one of the things i'm thinking about lately is like you know to, to try to regulate uh, the AI and everything that's coming out because it's going further and further. The current version of chat GPT that's out right now seems to be very, very advanced, but at the same time, it's really not full artificial intelligence because it's programmed and you can tell by the, the things that there's limitations. If you were to use chat GPT, you'll see that there's certain limitations. There's certain things that it will not do or certain biases that come out based on what you input into the, 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 the software, there's certain biases that will come out because it's being, it, what it does, the programming is based on the people that are programming it. And so this is one of the things that, that Elon was talking about. He's like, you know, if we have people that are programming these artificial intelligence systems that are being created, which again, most of the pro, uh, programming and production of these systems is coming out of this area of, of Silicon Valley, coming out of this area of the northern part of California or middle section to northern part of California. And it's an area where there's a, a lot of people that are just in their value system. They're very anti-Christian. Many of them are atheistic. And there are... Uh, a lot of people in that area, this is according to what Elon Musk was saying, who knows you know way better than I do, but he was saying that there's a lot of people that operate in that area that kind of have this extinctionist mentality, this, this mentality that humans are bad for the planet. Now, if we just look at you know scientific data and whatever, you know, and 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 I, look, I I agree that we should do the best that we can to protect our environment. I believe we should do the best that we can to take care of the planet that we're on. And I'm going to actually get to some scripture on this after I kind of paint the picture here for you. You get to some scripture and talk about some things. But I believe that we should do the best that we can to take care of the planet. I believe that we should take care of our communities. We should take care of our cities. We should act locally. We should do all of this stuff. And I'm not against the stuff that they're doing as far as, you know, the they talk about the prevention of, uh, you know, climate change and trying to help things and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And look, I don't know enough to I, to get behind or to dis, disagree with the science and the data and all that kind of stuff. All I know is when we start putting the needs of earth like uh, the actual planet mother earth so to speak or whatever when we start putting the needs of the planet above the needs of humans and we start looking at the earth as you know this entity that would be better off if we didn't exist then we're really kind of missing the point completely missing the point of why god created the earth to begin with god didn't create the earth to have an earth that humans come and take care of god created the earth for us and i'm actually going to show you that in scripture as we go forward here so he was elon was talking about just of all the things that concern him with ai and of course elon has been a big part of ai of the the perpetuating of AI coming into existence and all this. He's been a part of it. I remember listening to an interview with him from years ago where he was talking about how he tried to get them to slow down on AI, tried to get them to kind of 
I don't know if he was saying to get them to stop because I think ultimately he thinks it is something that would be good for humanity as long as it's done with safety protocols in place and it's programmed by the right people and all of that kind of stuff. So he's not anti this stuff by any means. He's very technologically minded and, you know, he's one of our super geniuses on our on our planet today. And so anyway, he's but he was saying, like, I tried to get them to slow down. I tried to get them to, you know, think more realistically and rationally about this but when it didn't happen i you know i'm like well i'm gonna throw my hat in the ring i'm gonna get in there and i'm gonna help the process and you know i, I don't know if that's coming from the mentality of that you know a lot of <laughs> a lot of programmers operate under the mentality of well if ai is inevitable you want to be helpful because when they get here and ultimately become our overlords and take over, we want to we want them to be able to look at the data and see that we were helpful to the, bringing them into um, what what's the word? Uh, I can't think of the word, but br but bringing them online, act, you know, activating them and and giving them the sentient capabilities and all this kind of stuff. We want them to see that we were helpful. And so I don't know if it comes from that. Or if it was just him, you know, wanting to be there and saying, well, if it's inevitable and they're not slowing down, then at least, you know, I'm a human who thinks rationally and I want to be involved in it because maybe I can help to do a little bit of good with this thing that seems to be, you know, careening toward the edge of a cliff in some ways. Now, I'm not anti-technology or anything like that, just so, just so that you know, but there there are a lot of dangers with this sort of thing so anyway one of the dangers that that elon is particularly concerned about is that there's a lot of people in that section of our country that are connected to the technology sector that operate from this extinct according to this extinctionist mentality and so elon cited something from a New York Times article, actually from the cover of New York Times. He didn't mention the name of the gentleman, so I did have to look this up. But there's a there's a gentleman by the name of Les Knight, who's the founder of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. And the idea behind this movement <laughs> is that all adults should stop procreating should stop reproducing we should stop having creating other humans immediately because what we want is to gradually over a period of time reduce the population until eventually there are no more humans it's essentially the ideology behind this movement the reason being is that if there were fewer humans on the planet then there would be less less harm would come to the humans that are on the planet and all that kind of stuff right now if you think logically about that like there might be something about that that's kind of true on a sick and you know twisted demented sort of level but the idea is that we want people to stop reproducing to stop having babies because we ultimately we want the population to be reduced we've got um eight billion people on the planet I believe that number has grown. For, I think back in 2010, 11, 12, somewhere around there, there were about 7 billion people on the planet. So the population is, is growing. I mean, we've added a billion people in a little over a decade, which is pretty phenomenal. One of the things that Elon stated in the podcast with Joe yesterday, he said, look, we could 10x the amount of people on this planet which, you know, simple math, that's about 80 billion people. He says, we could 10x the amount of people on this planet and be fine. Earth has enough resources for that. The, the, the challenge is, you know, we have millions and millions of people living in these small areas. You know, we load up our cities, but there is so much room that we're not using. There's so much uh, room, there's so much space that hasn't been developed yet. I mean, we have room for people is what he was saying. And so this idea that, you know, the we're, we're running out of all these resources and that population increase is a is a problem. That's like a weird ideology that I think is very, very anti-biblical. And I think it's anti-Christ, if I can use that terminology in general, because what it says is we don't want more people because more people create more problems. But 
God has designed us. I'm get get to some scripture in a minute, but God has designed us to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. That God has given the earth to us. He's given the earth to his people. He's given the earth to his sons and daughters. He's given his earth to humanity. Yes, we should take care of it. Yes, we should do our best to not destroy the atmosphere. Yes, we should do our best to not pollute. And I mean, the amount of pollution that's going on on the planet today is absurd. I mean, it's crazy. And that stuff is is not good. And I, and I don't believe that we should just say, ah, forget it. Let's just do whatever we want to do and live and, and let's see what happens. I don't think that that's the right mentality either. But. All right. So let me let me fin let me finish this thought with with Elon. So what he's saying is, is that there, there are there are people out there that have this kind of extinctionist ideology that says that we should be reducing the population, we should actually be taking steps, practical steps. There's things that we should be doing to eliminate the number of people, not, uh, yeah, eliminate ultimately, but for the time being to reduce the number of people that are on the planet so that these resources go further. Ultimately, people can be more happy and blah, blah, blah. It's the mentality of Thanos in the Marvel movies, in Avengers uh, Endgame, excuse me, not Endgame. Well, yeah, Endgame, but in um, Avengers um, Infinity War. If you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, came out like a million years ago, so so don't get mad at me. But the, the, the idea with, with Thanos is he's this super villain, but you they they paint this picture like a super villain because his goal is to eliminate half of the everything half of all life it, not just on on earth but in all of the cosmos you know in, in the marvel cinematic universe there's galaxies and there's different dimensions and there's all this stuff and and there's i mean trillions and trillions of people and different life forms and all of this and so all of the animals all of the human life everything all of life he wants to cut it in half right and so when he does that his his idea is because he actually succeeds for a little while when he when he does that the idea is we're going to eliminate half of life so that those that are left can thrive and so he says that he's doing it very unselfishly he's not doing it for himself he's not doing it for world domination he's doing it because he saw what happened on his home planet when the people became more well, i don't know if they were called people or not but when the you know i'm just gonna say people when the when when the people became more than the resources of what that planet could handle they essentially destroyed themselves and fell into ruin and he said you know i've lived this and the people that were in charge they didn't have the stomach to do what was needed to be done and and we paid the price for it and so now i am the only one in the universe who is willing to take these drastic steps that seem very very difficult but they're necessary there are people out there with a similar mentality, a similar mindset that they want, they would, they would love it. So what this guy, Les Knight, who founded this extinctionist movement, uh, what's it called again, uh, the voluntary human extinction movement, what he said, and this is what Elon cited on the podcast. He said that this guy on the cover of New York times was, you know, basically quoted saying there are 8 billion people on the planet. It would be better if there were none. Think about that statement for a minute. There are 8 billion people on the planet. It would be better if there were none. And that tells you the ideology of this man, tells you the ideology of this movement, and it tells you, tells you the ideology, or at least it speaks to the ideology of people that are out there that are vying for this population control type stuff. And it's like our goal, our focus is to protect rather than to protect the sanctity of human life. And that is, to me, very opposite of the way that God thinks. Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't protect the environment. I'm not saying we shouldn't save the whales and we shouldn't, you know, protect our, our oceans and all these things. I mean, the amount of pollution and plastics that are filling up our oceans and all that, it's, it, it, makes, it makes me sick. 
and we need solutions for these problems. So I'm not saying that we should cast off restraint and we shouldn't focus on these things. I'm just saying we can't focus on protecting our environment at the expense of human life and human dignity. It's not okay. It's not okay. And so ultimately Elon's like, you know, there's these there's these people in these prominent positions that have the, these mentalities where they're really they're anti-people. They, they have like a, a hatred for humanity for whatever reason. And, and they want humans to be el either eliminated or at least drastically reduced so that we can thrive as, as a society, so that we can protect our planet, sustain our planet, all this kind of stuff. So it, it, it elevates the preservation of the earth over the preservation and the protection and the dignifying of humanity, of human life. And if we look at the heart of God, the heart of God is so clear that he values human life more than he values the, the rock that we live on. And so I promise you, we're like 25 minutes in. I keep saying, we're going to get to some scripture. We're going to get there in a minute. And so if artificial intelligence is being created and programmed and developed by people that have this kind of an ideology, and this is an example, right? It, it, it could be not just this, not just this extinctionist mentality. It could be other mentalities and ideologies as well. More than likely, most of the people that are involved in the programming of these, you know, vast artificial intelligence software systems, more than likely, and I'm speculating 100%, I'm speculating, more likely than not, most of the people involved in this do not have a Christian worldview, <laughs> to say the least. A lot of them probably have an atheistic worldview. And there's probably a large number, based on Musk and his statements, there's probably a large number that do kind of have this mentality or this value system or this ideology that it might be better if there weren't so many people on the planet. And so if those biases are being integrated into these artificial intelligence systems that are being created, and if they do get to the point like what we see in every single movie about this and what seems to be the inevitable conclusion in some respects, I said some respects, not all respects, but in some respects, the inevitable conclusion is that artificial intelligence becomes you know, more, more powerful than what we've bargained for and <laughs> begins to actually take things over. You know, if, if we start having um, leaders in society, leaders in government that are essentially AI, artificial intelligence entities because they can be unbiased and because they have access to all data and because they have this you know knowledge that far expands what one human mind can come up with because they essentially have the knowledge and the data from all of the systems of, of the planet and uh, and and all of that and so if in the future we turn to an artificial intelligence to govern us to make laws to whatever i mean we could be, I don't know, but we could be slowly or quickly, depending on how you look at it, moving in that direction. I mean, if you just look at our country alone and the division and the polarization that's happened over the past couple specifically of election cycles and how divided our nation is from a political standpoint, from a value and ideology standpoint, I mean, who knows? Maybe at some point they make they they the powers that be make the decision. Hey, we're going to turn to this artificial intelligence to set the rules, to set the guidelines, to govern us. To you know, whether that's just on a, whether that's on a grand scale, if it's on a national scale, or if it's on the local level, or whatever it might be. But of course, we know that more and more and more sectors of our society are integrating these artificial intelligence features right now. And I'm not saying it's not it's not good. I'm not saying it's not helpful. There's aspects of it that are very, very helpful. I think it's going to revolutionize. Is that the way you say that word? Revolutionize or revolutionize? Anyway, the, the medical industry, 
the stuff that they're going to be able to do, the transfer of, of, of data, the way that they're going to be able to analyze things. I mean, it's going to, I think, make dramatic improvements in our world. But it was interesting to me just listening to Elon Musk, who's one of our just top genius minds. I mean, this man runs X, formerly Twitter. He runs SpaceX. You know, he's sending people into orbit. He's creating rocket, literal rocket science. And he runs Tesla. It's like he 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 made a statement. He said Tesla and Ford are the only two uh, American car manufacturers that have not, or automobile manufacturers that have not gone bankrupt. <laughs> at one point so anyway it's so it's it's just crazy he's doing all that and it's crazy but what if you know i'm just thinking here just and and feel free to to comment in and feel free to to send me your 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 questions or comments or whatever you think about this if you think i'm uh, you know crazy I, i'm really i'm i'm not coming at this from a doom and gloom perspective i'm coming at this kind of wanting to uh, address the ideology first of all and also, I am having some fun with this. So don't think that I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here like doomsday, end of the world. That's not me. That's not who I am. But I do think it's good to, to talk about these things. So what if people with an extinctionist mentality are programming the AI? And so the AI begins to have more and more knowledge more and more intelligence more and more power we could say more and more say more and more input to the point that we are taking our our cues in society and the decisions and the choices that we're making from these artificial intelligence services and they're making these seemingly unbiased decisions but they're decisions that have been at least implicitly affected by those that programmed them and if those that program them have this ideology that says that the world would be better if there weren't so many people and so now the ai is making decisions and doing things and manipulating things and moving things around to essentially work toward that goal well humans are bad this is what happens in every movie AI takes over. AI tries to optimize things. AI is constantly, you know, optimizing itself and getting to the point where it's it gets into the, the the place where it's in control of data. Once it hits the internet, it's like there. It's it's connected to every single system. It now becomes this super intelligence, and now the super intelligence analyzing everything begins to recognize, and it always happens very very quickly. Recognizes, oh, humans are actually really bad for this planet. So in order to protect the planet, in order to protect humanity, we need to eliminate a lot of the people that are a problem. And so that's like kind of the ultimate conclusion of almost every artificial intelligence movie you've ever seen. There's this one movie, and I think it's actually called, oh man, called, is it called, um, it's not called artificial intelligence, is it called super intelligence? Yeah. Let me make sure this is the right movie. Yeah. So it's called Super Intelligence. And it's actually a, a comedy movie. I just thought about this. Um, what is this actress's name? Uh, it stars Melissa McCarthy. Uh, so anyway, it's it's a comedy. And it's it's a cute, you know, silly movie. I, I'm pretty sure. I think it's rated PG. I, I could be wrong about that. But I, I mean, I think it's a movie you can watch with your family and that sort of thing. But what happens is it's this artificial intelligence recognizes or this super intelligence recognizes that this the, the woman in the movie jenny uh not jenny mccarthy melissa <laughs> melissa mccarthy uh she <laughs> recognizes that she's like the most average woman the most average human on the planet and so begins to communicate with her through like her radio and all this kind of stuff because it can because it's a super intelligence and it's connect interconnected to everything and I, I believe in the movie, spoiler alert, I believe in the movie, the superintelligence gives her like three days to prove that humanity is worth saving 
or he's like blasting them back to the stone age and just i don't know if it's a destruction of earth or if it's i forget exactly what the what the thing is i only saw it once and it was a couple years ago but it was an interesting take and ultimately spoiler alert ultimately this average woman she's able to present to the super intelligence she's able to show to prove that humanity is more than just numbers on a screen more than just ones and zeros more than just blips that that life is sacred that life is worth saving and let me finally get to some scripture here psalm 115 verse 16 I'm, I'm i don't know if i'm going in the correct order here or not but psalm 115 verse 16 it says the heaven even the heavens are the lord's but the earth he has given to the children of men i alluded to this earlier the lord has actually given this earth to his people he's given this earth to humanity he's given it to us so again we're, we're supposed to steward everything well that god gives to us everything that comes into our hands I was just teaching about this on, on Sunday, I think it was. Everything that, that you have, everything that comes into your hands, none of it is yours. It all belongs to God. We are administrators or stewards of the things that God has given us the authority to have possession of or to, to maintain or whatever the case may be. The world that we live in is part of that. And so I think Christians, more than anybody, we should be environmentally conscious, but not to the point where we create a religion out of it, not to the point where we create this ideology about it, where protecting that becomes more important than the sanctity of human life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at people, and I don't know, maybe you disagree with me on this, but I've always looked at things like, you know, spending $9 million to help a beached whale get back into the ocean, like, that's great. Like I can get behind helping animals. I think it's great to to be benevolent, not just to other humans, but to animals and, and all that kind of stuff as well. You know, a whale is this big, huge, majestic creature. I think we ascribe more value to the large, you know, particularly intelligent creatures that we share this planet with. You know, if you 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 see a if there's an elephant in trouble, if there's a you know some kind of majestic cat, you know, tiger, you know, anything like that a whale a dolphin you know they we know that they have intelligence we we know that there are in incredibly beautiful wonderful majestic creatures i think we should take care of them as well we're going to read that in genesis chapter 1 that god gave us dominion over the fish of the sea the fowl of the air the animals that creep on the ground he's given dominion to us and so we should do our best but i just question you know, spending $9 million to, to save a whale when, like, how far could that same $9 million go to help people in a struggling community that are dealing in with impoverished conditions where, where there's not a valid school system or where there's not valid medical care or where the police or the uh, EMTs won't even go into a particular neighborhood because it's so dangerous? And I'm not saying that it's, you know, as simple as that. So don't don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's as simple as, well, take that $9 million that Greenpeace was going to spend on this and send it over to this small community in Chicago. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's that simple and that it works. That, I know it doesn't work that way. I know there's donors. I know that they these organizations have their own budget and it's for what they do. I have no problem with anybody engaging in what they do. I'm just, I just wonder about these things. I just wonder. I, I, I wonder about, it's sending billions of dollars overseas for whatever the issue, whatever the situation is, whatever it is that we're that we're dealing with. And again, this is not a political thing. I'm not making a political statement here. But we look at some of the problems in our own backyard that can be corrected. And I just wonder about some of the ways that we're spending our time and that we're investing our resources in and I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we need to be driven as a society. We need to be driven by this philosophy of that we hold sacred life. Excuse me. We hold life to be sacred. And so what we do, what we invest in, it should be for the, 
preservation of life, for protecting each other, for building up people, communities of people, for making life better in, in the, whatever way that we can. So again, I'm not saying these are easy solutions and I'm not just, I, I think I'm talking like pie in the sky, like utopia style ideas and I'm not trying to come off as naive. I'm just saying like some of the things that kind of I think about are these things that we focus on and we should focus on these things, but never at the expense of preserving and protecting human life. This is why I think abortion is so wrong because we are eliminating a human being and a lot of people would say it's not a human being it's just a it's a uh, I forget what they call it it's it's a sack of cells it's it's not fully formed yet it's not developed it's not it's still just a fetus so we do this we we play with language we weaponize language we change and distort and distort and pervert language in order to promote an ideology and to make it more palatable. They did such a good job with abortion in, in terms of changing the language so that a lot of people, they it's just something they say, and it's just in the lexicon. It's just, it's just, it's in the language. It's in the lingo. It's like, oh yeah, that that's a, that's a fetus until it takes its first breath. It's not a baby. It's not a human. It's not a person yet. A lot of the people that would say that, forgive me if this comes off as harsh, a lot of the people that would say that would also be devastated if they had a miscarriage. So that thinking doesn't really line up. You know, if, if, if one mother can make the choice to abort a child and another mother is devastated because she's had a she's miscarried and as a mother she's already started to make that tangible mother to child bond and connection <clears throat> those two things don't seem to add up <clears throat> it's a difference in opinion it's a difference in ideology and they just did such a good job for their agenda they, they did such a good job of perverting the language so that we can say things like the fetus and kind of disconnect it from human life and so we don't look at it as something that's sacred but at the same time it's inconsistent because we do look at it as something that's sacred when we want to keep it you know we don't have any problem with a mother um, connecting in that kind of personal, intimate, emotional way with a baby that she's carrying. But then at the same time, we can praise her for making the choice to end that pregnancy. And so I just don't think these things add up. Anyway, I'm using that as, as an example. It's the same thing that I think they're doing right now, uh, pushing the LGBTQ plus agenda of. Um, Excuse me. I said that. I, I said that wrong. I said that wrong. Let me let me let me rewind. It is connected, but it's the 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 trans ideology that they're wanting to push, where they say sex and gender are two different things, and so sex is biological, but gender is on a spectrum, and you can change your gender, and gender can be based on how you feel. It can be more of an emotional thing. Your gender can be this or that and your gender can switch gender can be fluid and switches and changes over time this happens that you know and and we can put this language and and i believe they're trying very very hard to make that acceptable in society because it promotes their agenda so that you know five years from now ten years from now whatever it is that that's the acceptable lingo of human existence to say sex and gender those are two different things and so we we become very very you know just accepting of these gender ideology statements i think it's what they're doing there now 
And it's the, the kind of thing where when language gets hijacked and we try to say that this is what this is, that it just it gets repeated over and over and over again so that it gets ingrained into the the minds of of people and then eventually it just becomes accepted and so i think we have to make sure that we are speaking truth i that that was a dumb statement of course we need to make sure that we're that we're speaking truth and so look when I talk about these kinds of things, I never want to come off in a way that's judgmental or condemning. I think it's important when we're talking about, like, for example, on the abortion issue, I think we always need to be advocating for the preservation of human life, including a baby in the womb. But I also think we need to value and honor and find ways to to protect and to care for the mother that's carrying that child that doesn't have the resources to maybe raise that child or whatever the case may be. You know, something that I talked about when the whole thing happened with the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade last year, one of the things that I talked about on the on the podcast was like, look, if, if this thing stands up and I think that that's a great victory, I, I, I believe that that was a great victory and I rejoiced when it happened. I think the way they went about a lot of that stuff was done very poorly. And I think some of the laws that certain communities and states put into effect after that was were done very, very poorly because our goal shouldn't be like in order to protect the unborn child, we shouldn't be kicking the mother to the curb. We need to find a way to honor and to value human life on all sides of the equation. And that's, I get it that, I mean, that's messy and I'm, but I'm not the kind of person that has all the answers for that sort of thing. <clears throat> it's not supposed to become a conversation about abortion, but um, look, I also don't think that it's fair to say that you can't have an opinion on this because you're a, you're a man and because you don't have a, a uterus and because you can't carry a child. I think that morally and spiritually, theologically, whatever, I think that men should be able to speak into this conversation. That's become one of those other things that was just touted in the language for so long that now it's really become acceptable to say, well, you can't speak on this issue because you're a man. And I don't know who should have, if, if it should be that women have a higher, you know, there should be a higher uh, value on the opinion of a woman because she's able to conceive children as opposed to a man. And, and I get that men, you know, look, here, here, here's the truth. Here's a, here's a very, I believe this with all my heart. If men could have babies, ab abortion wouldn't even be a question. It would be allowed everywhere on the planet. I, I think that that is, well, and I, I say everywhere, maybe not everywhere, but it would be it would be allowed. I mean, it would be so, it would happen so much more often. It, you know, it, it's a, a lot. Of, I mean, I get the kind of the injustice behind primarily men making laws that affect women more than men. But you can't say that abortion laws do not also affect men because there have been plenty of men that wanted or would have wanted, if given the choice, to keep and to raise their child. But the woman chose to have an abortion so these are sticky issues that affect every that affect life it, they, they affect us so all i'm saying is i don't think it's it's fair in that instance to say that men should never be able to speak into this just because they're they're men and they're not women i don't think that that's right but what i am saying is that in all of these situations we need to have a value we need to dignify the individual we have to. We have to. And as God's people, as the church, we need to have hope in these circumstances. We need to come around as a community and embrace people that are struggling to not, you know, but a teenage mother, you know, or a, a teenage pregnancy happens to like not condemn that young woman. 
but to come around and embrace and and what's happened over and over again that you know in the families and in church settings that young girls have been <clears throat> been condemned and kicked out and paraded around in front of congregations and and made to repent and like publicly like this kind of stuff has happened this perverted stuff has happened and so uh, the results sometimes is that you know a, a teenage girl will keep it a secret and just terminate the pregnancy because she knows that she's not going to have that support around her but like what if we could create such a culture of love and acceptance and support not to say that the sin was okay but the the act that led to pregnancy was sinful if it was done out of wedlock but to be pregnant is not a sin to have that child is not a sin and so we we've got to embrace and to support and to value human life and when we don't do that things get really twisted and things get really dark so let me just read a couple of more uh, scripture references to you here and we'll get ready to wrap this time up we go back to genesis chapter one when god is creating the heavens and the earth and, and all of that look at verse 25 really verse 26 is what i want but just to show you it says god made the beast of the earth according to its kind cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and god saw that it was good then god said verse 26 let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them now listen god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth so god blessed mankind and said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it that was the original that was the first command that was the first command have sex <laughs> and multiply fill the earth and subdue it fill the earth and govern fill the earth and have dominion have dominion over this world that I've given to you. Remember back in Psalm 115, God has given the earth to the sons and to, to people. He's given the earth to the children of men. He's given us this place to enjoy. He's given us this place to cultivate. He's given us this place to experience life, to experience his goodness here on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's That's the heart of God. That we would fill the earth now we have atheistic people with an ideology that says no we want to unfill the earth with as many people as we possibly can because that's the only way we're going to sustain this place that we live on it's like no you're missing the point yes we should protect the environment yes we should protect our planet we should do all those things but never at the expense of human life and so to say that well the we have too many people for the earth so we need to start working on some population control. Stop filling the earth. Stop being fruitful. Stop multiplying. Stop having kids. Stop getting pregnant. Stop these things because we need less people or fewer people for you grammar people out there. We need to have fewer people on the planet because we're destroying the planet. It's like, hold on. Our first priority is not... Our, <sighs> Our first priority is the sanctity of human life. I think. Tell me if you disagree. Um, wanted to read, okay. Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4. By the way, I heard another interview with Elon Musk from uh, maybe, a, maybe a few months ago, maybe more toward the beginning of the year or something like that, where he was asked on this podcast, and it was kind of an eerie moment, he was asked on this podcast um, what was his greatest fear or what does he think is the greatest threat is probably, I think, how they said it. The greatest threat 
to humanity today. And if you ever listen to an interview with Elon Musk, he takes these long pauses because he's very thoughtful about the things that he says. So he paused for, for a minute. And I'm thinking he's probably going to say something related to AI. But he paused and then he said, probably population collapse. And they're like, population collapse? It's like we're growing, aren't we? You know, like we went from 7 billion to 8 billion people in the past, you know, 10, 11, 12 years. Population collapse. And he's like, yeah, population collapse. And, and he explained why. And, of course, you know, I don't remember all the details, but the idea is that it's like paying attention to some of the trends that we're on. How many people today, our numbers are increasing? Like we've actually recently just surpassed where we're above 8 billion now on the planet. But the idea is that the, the trends, if the trends continue, fewer and fewer people, see, I got it right, grammar people that time, fewer and fewer people are having kids or more and more people are making the decision to not father and mother children, to not bring children into the world. And if these trends, he was saying, continue, it's actually very quick. You know, like when the population gets on a downward trend, like when, when we start trending negative, where we're actually, you know, we go from one year to the next and the population has decreased. He said, once we kind of get into that downward spiral, a population can collapse very, very quickly. Now, when he says very, very quickly, I don't know if he meant like a few hundred years or a few thousand years. And I haven't looked into the math on this or whatever, because I mean, sometimes you say, you know, if you, you could say very, very quickly in relation to what people think is the existence of Earth, which they say is like billions of years old. If you if you I don't I don't I'm not sure on that, but it's, you know, or if we're saying like like literally, I mean, it could be a a handful of generations or a few hundred like I'm I'm not sure but that was his fear so there's a lot of people out there that are that are fearful of overpopulation and that think we need to be making steps now to reduce the population and yet he's coming in from a very from the complete opposite perspective he's saying no the greatest threat to our existence today is is actually population collapse because if we start buying into these ideologies and if trends continue and fewer and fewer people are having children and, you know, not even just one child, you know, even even some people that are having, you know, a lot of people that are having children, it's like, you know, not having as many children as they used to have, which contributed, of course, to the expansion and the explosion in our population, I think from. I think we had something like 4 billion people on the planet in like the 60s. Somebody check me on that. I think in the 60s, there were half of the people on the planet that we have now. So it's been amazing the, the way our population has increased planet-wide. But anyway, Elon Musk is way smarter than I am. And I'm sure he's looked into the data and he was concerned. It's just kind of an eerie interview, an eerie conversation. And he was saying that he was concerned about population collapse, which is kind of almost like the last thing I expected him to say. So anyway, Psalm 8, verse. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And it keeps going and then it gets, it, it's a beautiful psalm. But it's man recognizing God with all of these amazing things that you've created, the heavens, all of the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. And we look at your creation, the vastness of your creation. You know, you go out and you look at the mountains and you look at everything you the, the, you consider the sunshine you consider the complexity of life and how it is that we exist you know and still i mean the the most accepted scientific view is that this came into existence by accident 
And to fail to recognize the fine-tuning, I did an episode on this a while back, really on the fine-tuning of the universe and, and the fine-tuning of, of our planet and how life grows and flourishes and exists and, and, and all of this. And it's like we can, how the scientific community can, can look at that and not recognize that it all points to intelligent design. You don't get this level of fine-tuning by accident. It just doesn't happen. And so the psalmist here reflecting on just the magnificence and the excellence of the creation of God. And he's like, how is it that you are mindful of man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Well, we're the crown jewel of God's creation. You are the crown jewel of God's creation. And he values you. And he loves you. And he's designed you so intricately and he's put you in a place that says he's crowned us with glory and honor. And he's put the other things on this planet under our feet to say, well, we shouldn't be here. Humans are bad for the earth. Well, we might be making bad decisions for the earth. I, I get it. But we're the reason that this earth exists. God created this. God made this so that he can, he, he, he so that he could put his people in it. He could put humans in it. That's why it's here. It's here for us. Now, again, anything that God has given us authority or dominion over, we should take care of it. We should tend it. We should cultivate it. We should steward it well. And in many, many ways, we don't steward it well as a society at large. But we, we can't be taking this fatalistic approach this extinctionist approach that says, well, there shouldn't be as many humans. No, every human life is valuable. Every life on this planet is valuable. And that's how God sees it. I think one more scripture here might be the best one. Let's see. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, David says, For you formed my inward parts and covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I, what I love here is David's awareness of the intimacy and the intricacy of, of how divinely connected God is with his creation, with every single person that he's created. From the time of being in the womb and even from the time of before, when David says being yet unformed, I mean, talking about how God was mindful of him, it reminds me of the call of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah chapter one in verses four and five, God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I, I love that first phrase. Before I formed you, I knew you. Meaning that God knew, in other words, Jeremiah existed in the mind and in the heart of his creator forever, from before the dawn of, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it just says before I formed you, before you were formed. And of course, Jeremiah's parents got together just like your parents and my parents, you know, the, and, and the and conception takes place, right? God says, I'm the one forming you. I'm the one who's designing you. You existed in my mind. You existed in my heart. And based on what I knew about you, the foreknowledge that I had of you, of who you are, of your destiny, of your identity, of what you were going to look like and all of this, that's how I formed you. And that word formed, it's a pottery term. It means to, to, to fashion, to form, to bring something into shape. And it's, you know, if you know pottery, pottery is this very delicate process. It's very up close and personal and it's messy. And that's the intricacy of design that God has had with you. That's a picture of it anyway, of God forming you and fashioning you. You're not an assembly line creation. He made you the way that he saw you, the way that he already knew you. And, and, and I just love this. You know, I have, I have friends. I, I know people that kind of take an interesting perspective toward 
Christianity toward their relationship with God and, and God's view of them. And there's a lot of people out there, Christians out there, who would say that it's narcissistic to think that God thinks this highly of us, or it's narcissistic to think that God is involved in the the daily sort of mundaneity of our lives when there's people all over the world, you know, other countries, but also where we live as well that are struggling and suffering in such profound ways. And of course, that person that's struggling and suffering is is so on the mind and the heart of God. That person is not away or outside of God's sight and God's focus, but God can care for that person and also care about being involved in the mundane aspects of your life as well. If it's a promotion on a job you're looking for, if it's just whatever. I mean, this is this is why God, he'll speak to you about the big picture things, but he'll also speak to you about the mundane things of life as well. Daily life, he wants to walk with you and commune with you and have conversations with you. And David is is calling these things out. He's saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This awareness of, of personal identity and belonging and this awareness of how much God is just so involved in our lives and how much he wants to be intricately involved in all of the aspects of our lives and, and how it goes back not just from the moment of our birth or, or whatever, but goes back through conception and even before that, because he already knew you before he formed you. And, you know, contrasting this with some of the ideology that's going, that's out there in, in the world today of just, just taking this stance that speaks to this idea that humanity, that human life is, is not sacred or it's not that important or it's not that valuable and that that we're just accidental and you know a series of muta mutations resulted in us being here or being the person that we are it's just you know proteins it's just this it's just that and it's like god's like no 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 that's the there's the there's the the biological makeup the building blocks of life that i've designed and, and structured this way but who you are the way you are how you, you've been designed intricately by god every person on this planet has and he cares and he wants to be involved in, in in all of these areas he's really able to love you that much that that these things matter to god so after listening to that podcast i just wanted to kind of share some thoughts based on some things that that came up and I hope that this was maybe a blessing or an encouragement to you. <laughs> and uh, if you have any thoughts or comments, I would absolutely love to hear from you. So thank you guys so much again for being involved here. Thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to drop me a comment. If you would leave a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms, like if you do this on Spotify, you can leave a, a, a star rating or something like that. Apple Podcasts, obviously, you can re leave a written review and uh, Facebook page, all that kind of stuff. You can leave reviews and everything as well. I do appreciate all that you do there. Thank you so much. I uh, love you guys. I appreciate you. And I'll uh, hopefully see you back on a future episode. Be blessed.